Somewhere this morning, a young man or a young woman called his mother and said, I'm going to be able to go to church with you today. And the response, well, that's music to my ears. The phrase, music to our ears, reflects a meaning in our language that this is something that is pleasurable, something we want to hear. It's good news. When we think about the worship that you and I offer to God, it's music to God's ears. When you and I think about the kind of music that we ourselves like, I don't know about some of you, but there's certain types of music that I really do like. I like the blues, and I like some of the folk music. I also like choral music, particularly a cappella choral music. There are some kinds of music that I don't like. There are people who occasionally pull up next to me on the road, and their radios and their stereos are so loud that I can hear it very plainly in my vehicle. Windows rolled up. You see, they, they have what they want to listen to, but... To me, it's noise. In fact, I'd like for you to think, does some music that you listen to sound like noise and have an irritating sound? I'd say most of us can say yes. Do you realize in the Bible there is a picture of given of something being an irritating sound? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, Paul was talking about people who had various miraculous gifts And in speaking of those, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now that kind of noise over and over again will become very annoying. He said, If I am a man who has the ability to speak in all sorts of languages which God provides, but if I don't have love, I just sound like a a clanging cymbal. If someone were going to play music for you, would you prefer they play music you like or music they like? And you'd say, that's really not even a question. If it's for me, it's something I want to listen to. If it's for them, it's something they want to listen to. Well, let me ask you a question. Does it matter to God what kind of music that we offer to him. Well, this morning we're going to study Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is in our series of studies of the letter to the Colossians. And when you get to chapter 3, that's exactly what Paul is going to discuss. And we're going to look at three things in these two verses. The first one is the dwelling word. First part of verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Second of all, we're going to talk about this didactic worship. The word didactic simply means teaching. Teaching and admonishing one another in the latter part of verse 16. And then finally, we want to look at the divine will. What does God want? And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. For the next just few minutes, if you will, give me your attention and we're going to try to go through this passage and look and see what Paul said. 
So look now at the first part of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The very first thing that you notice, he talks about the word of Christ. What does he mean when he talks about the word of Christ? Well, it's distinct from the Old Testament. You see, under the Old Testament, there were rules, there were obligations, there were things that God wanted from the Jewish people. Not necessarily the same thing that God expects from those of us today. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus would address them by saying, particularly in chapter 5, you have heard it said, and then he says, but I say to you, and he contrasts not only the way people had misinterpreted God's law, but even the fact that he was giving himself a new law. It is also distinct from the teachings of man. It's distinct in the sense that God's law is not necessarily man's law. And man's law is certainly not God's law. Man sometimes has his own wishes, his own desires. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. I won't accept it if it's a man's command. It is the same as the gospel of Christ presented in so many different passages. Just reference a couple of them. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. He's saying it's the gospel that saves in Philippians 1 and verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It is something that is preached to us, it's taught to us, and it's something that we live and we obey in our various lives. And it came to us by men like Paul, who wrote by means of the Holy Spirit, and here particularly in the book of Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 28, Him we preach warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We preach Christ. We preach Him crucified. It is the Word of Christ. And He says, let that dwell in you. Dwell in you. The form of this in the original language is the present tense. The mood is imperative. That means it's continually something that's going on and it's a command to be obeyed. When he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's not suggesting that's a good thing to do. He's saying that's something that you must do. Different things can dwell within or inhabit a person. I can see many people who I can look at them and say, you know what, I can see their dad in them. I can see their personality. I can see their attitudes. Or there's other people, maybe they've gone through a particular school and they come out and they've got an awful attitude and say, well, I can see a bad attitude in him or in her. Do you realize when the word of Christ dwells in you, it means something. Just like in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, we see the influence of godly mothers. When I call to remembrance 
the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Timothy was who he was because the word of his grandmother, the word of his mother, placed within Timothy a faith that would continue from generation to generation. There's other people that sin inhabits their lives. Paul would say in Romans 7 and verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Sin has a way of taking over our lives, taking over our personalities. I was privileged to teach a class Thursday night at the Middle Tennessee School of Preaching. The topic I was supposed to speak on was substance abuse, particularly with regards to alcohol. And I tried to make the point that sin at some point enslaves us, that now it's the sin that is living in our lives. Hosea 4.11, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. But God can dwell in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, Paul would write, in what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God, the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God said, I'm going to dwell in them. And you can observe people that God dwells in them in the way that they live their lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word richly means abundant, full, complete. Let it be that which dominates your life. In Psalm 119, 111, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or Jesus would write or say in John 8, verse 31, to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Chapter 15, verse 7 of John, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You see a person who lets God's word guide, direct their lives. And then 1 John 2, 14, I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and that the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. God's word abides in you. You live it. and The devil can't have any place in your life. Now for just a minute, let's look at the latter part of verse 16. And there Paul says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, the phrase teaching and admonishing, the word didactic means to teach, to instruct. And that's why we're talking about a didactic worship. When we come together and we sing, we are teaching and admonishing one another. The word admonish means to warn, to put into mind. For instance, if I knew that this morning 
you were to go out of the building, that there would be some sort of hazard. Maybe there's a, a piece of metal that's sticking up and say, you need to be careful lest you run into this piece of metal, tear your clothing, or maybe even uh, injure yourself. That's a warning. Part of our singing reflects a kind of warning. Let me give you a really good example of that. I thought I could be able to repeat the words of yield not to temptation, but lest I forget, I brought them with me. Listen to the words of this song and and see if it does not have teaching and admonishing in it. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdued. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. Shun evil companions, bad language disdain. God's name hold in reverence, nor take it in vain. Be thoughtful and earnest, kind-hearted and true. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. To him that overcometh, God giveth a crown. Through faith we shall conquer, though often cast down. He who is our Savior, our strength will renew. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. You see, it's a song that teaches us what we should do. It's one that admonishes us of the consequences of sin. Songs of praise and worship certainly can teach and they can warn. Looking forward as a prophecy of the coming of Christ and what he would do, Hebrews 2.12 says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. Jesus was going to declare God's name and sing praise among God's people. But he said to them here that they are to do so to one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. What that indicates is is that this is something that all of us do. I sing and you are taught and admonished. You sing and I am taught and admonished. We don't have choirs. We don't have a group that sings for us because we're not the audience. No, we are the participants. God is the audience. God is the one who's listening to the sounds of our heart. teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The psalms reflects the Old Testament words that were given by David, by Asaph, by the sons of Korah, recorded in our book of psalms. And it's a song of praise, a sacred song. In fact, several of the psalms have been put to music and we sing them in our songbooks. Then there are hymns, and these are songs with a religious content, with praise that is due to the one to whom the song has been directed. I would think of songs like 
how great thou art. And then we have spiritual songs, songs with a spiritual message to them. One of my favorite songs from a child is a song, Each Day I'll Do. I'll tell you and be honest with you, the first reason why I liked the song was because of the bass lead. But then, as I began to appreciate the words, I realized this is a very great song spiritually because of what it teaches. Each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. My life on earth is but a span, and so I'll do the best I can. To be a child of God each day, my light must shine along the way. I'll sing His praise while ages roll and strive to help some troubled soul. The only life that will endure is one that is kind and good and pure. And so for God I'll take my stand each day I'll lend a helping hand. I'll help someone in time of need and journey on with rapid speed. I'll help the sick, the weak, the poor, and words of kindness to them speak. While going down life's weary road, I'll try to lift some traveler's load. I'll try to turn the night to day, make flowers bloom along the way. Life's evening sun is sinking low. A few more days, and then I must go. To meet the deeds that I have done where there will be no shining setting or no setting sun. The author of that song was talking about our being good and doing good and helping those who are in need. That is a song with a spiritual message. But he said with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Singing with grace. Grace is favor. Grace is gratitude. Grace is thankfulness. So that when I sing songs of praise to God, I thank God for all the goodness that has been expressed toward me. And it's in our hearts. You see, it's the expression of a heart. The parallel passage in Ephesians 5, verse 19, Paul would say, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. You see, when we sing, most of us sing, oh boy, the singing was beautiful. We heard the voices. Do you know where the melody is made that God hears? It's in the heart. You see, my voice may not be the greatest voice. I may not be as perfect in tune, but you see, God can hear the tune of the heart. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. To the Lord is to whom our worship is directed Music to God's ears is the music that reflects what God himself wants. Now let's talk about this last section here, the divine will from verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to him, God the Father through him. Now, he expands this to whatever you do in word or deed. That's an all-encompassing phrase. That means that when I sit in worship to God and the songs that I sing, I need to reflect what God wants. When I do something, it needs to reflect what God wants done. When I walk out those doors and I get in my car and I leave, my life needs to reflect what God wants done and what God wants said. It's what one teaches and what one practices. Paul was writing Timothy and trying to get Timothy to understand what it really takes to be faithful to God. And he said in 1 Timothy 4 verse 16, Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed to yourself. Look at who you are. Look at what you're doing. Take heed to the doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine, the words of Christ, if you will. You continue in those, you'll save yourself, those that hear you. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I love the song that we sing occasionally. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. What a wonderful song because it reflects exactly what Paul is teaching here. What does that really mean to say do all in his name? If an officer comes to the door of your home, open in the name of the law. You know that he has the authority of the law behind him to demand you to open that door. Jesus expressed his authority in Matthew 28, verse 18. And he spoke to them saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Jesus is at the supreme height. There's no one who has more authority than does he. And Jesus would say, Whatever you do, you do it all in my name, by my authority. In Luke 20, verse 2, and he spoke to him saying, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. And who gave you this authority? In Acts chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, the apostles were called into account by whose name they had done these things. And he says that when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Oh, you want to know what name we did it in? We did it in the name of Jesus. Now this has some very profound implications for us. If we do everything as Jesus commands, by his authority, that means that God has designed a plan for worship. 
And you and I must let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in the sense that we go through the scriptures and find what God wants. What does God want me to say? What does God want me to sing? What does God want me to pray? How does God want me to partake of the Lord's Supper? How does God want me to give? All of those are aspects of His authority. I will tell you, God has made it clear that He expects us to honor and respect His authority. Particularly when worship is being offered. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Then Nadab, the sons of Aaron, of Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, put incense on it, offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Did God take seriously where they got fire from? Well, he certainly did. He, he told them what to do. In First Chronicles chapter 13, you have another incident. They're transporting the Ark of the Covenant. David has had a new cart made for it. It left the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahau drove the cart. They came to Kaidan's threshing floor. Uzzah put his hand to hold the ark for the oxen had stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. And he struck him because he put his hand to the ark. And he died there before the Lord. Did God look at what Uzzah did and say, I'm not happy about that? Because he didn't follow the, the rules. In fact, if you go to 1 Chronicles 15, verses 12 and 13 particularly, the latter part of verse 13 says, Our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. You know, we didn't let God's word dwell in us to the point where we asked the question, How does God want me to do this? Our worship must reflect a respect for the specifics and the silence of Scripture. When we start thinking about specifics, I want you to think about yourself. For instance, you go to the restaurant after we leave here, and you say to the waiter that comes to your table, I would like to have a cheeseburger, but I want no onions on it. If the waiter comes and puts a hamburger in front of you and you look and there's onions on it, how do you feel about that? I'm telling you how Tony would feel about it. I'm not eating it. I don't like onions. They don't do well in my system. I'm not going to eat it. I'll either remove them or I'll send it back, but I would not be happy either way, especially if I'm specific about something. What if God specifies what He wants? Does God have to go through a list of everything and say, but I don't want this and I don't want that? When we tell what we do want and we're specific, that ought to be clear. Listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 4 through 6. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. 
For I have not dwelt in a house since the days that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God did not permit any of them to do anything other than what he had already commanded. And he looks at David and says, David, where did you get this idea that I wanted you to do this? We live in a world today where people are offering all kinds of things to God and saying, God will take it, God will take it. Well, who are we trying to please? Is it music to God's ears or is it music to our ears, what we want? It's all about the divine will. Now, what is music to God's ears? It's the praise that he himself desires. It's the praise that is derived from the word of Christ. It's the praise that teaches and admonishes. It's the praise that results in thanksgiving to God. I want to conclude with a final verse and then we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. When the writer of the book of Hebrews drew near to the end of that book, offering several admonitions, he come to this by saying, Therefore let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We will sing a song in just a moment. The purpose of this song is to teach and to admonish, to encourage. If you need to become a child of God this morning, when the song is sung, if you'll come to the front up here, I'll greet you. You can have a seat. And then after the song is over, we'll allow you to confess your faith in Christ and then baptize you for the remission of your sins. Why not? Because that's our plan of salvation, but that's what Jesus taught us to do. If you're a Christian and you, you realize there's sin in your life and you've got to correct it, you've got to make it right, you can also come forward and have a seat. We'll announce to the congregation your repentance and we'll pray for you which also is what we're taught to do in the scriptures. If you'll get ready now, we're going to sing number 538, Prepare to Meet Thy God. If you need to come, please come as we stand and sing.